0: Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome on out to Resurrection City Church. Uh, special welcome to you if you're just visiting us today, or you're you're here for your first time. We're happy to have you with us. My name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here at Res City, and um, we are wrapping up a shorter sermon series that we've been doing to kind of kick the year off. That we are we're talking about why do we do church? So we think it's important every every year to throw in a couple of small series where we just talk a little bit about some of the normal things that we do as part of being Christian or in the church and just ask ourselves, why do we do that? Because if we lose vision for what we do, it's going to be stale. It's going to kind of just seem like, what's the point of doing this? Going through motions and, you know, at the best, we're just not going to get anything out of it. At the worst, we're just going to cut it out of our lives. And that's both of those things obviously are bad because we're, we're missing the point we're losing out on the things that we, the church has maybe done or things that Christians have believed for a really long time um, that are vital or, or, or at least very helpful to our faith and so we think it's good to just kind of examine those things uh, from time to time and, and we're wrapping up a three-week series on why we do church what what's what, what's the point uh, of gathering here on Sunday mornings um there's a large trend nationally just for, for people, even Christians, to, to quit going to church on a regular basis or to, to say they can practice their faith independently outside of a, a church body. And so we think it's just helpful to talk a little bit about you know, what, what's the point of getting up on a Sunday morning when it's like four degrees out. And driving through the snow and, and coming and meeting in here, right? So, so we're doing that, and, and, and we're wrapping it up this week. And so if you want to hear the first two sermons of that, you can go back, uh, you can go to our YouTube page, or we are on iTunes and Spotify, you can listen to those two sermons. Um, but today I want to talk a little bit about how do we do church well, okay? So we kind of set, set out the why and the what the last couple weeks. This week I want to talk about how. How do we do this well? How do we kind of be the church in the best way possible? And a couple weeks ago um, when we introduced this series, if you remember, I kinda, I kinda, we walked through 2 Corinthians 5 where Paul talks about how God is doing something in the world. And Paul calls it uh, new creation there. There's, it's all about redemption. It's about reconciliation. It's about bringing creation and humanity uh, back to God after it's been separated by sin and death uh, and the forces of evil out there. And so, so God is doing something in the world called new creation. Um, And the church, what Paul talks about there, about how we are ambassadors of that new creation, ambassadors of, of reconciliation in the world. And so if it's true that we're ambassadors, it must be true that the church sort of operates as like the embassy, of new creation and reconciliation in the world. It's the place, you know, that we live in the midst of of territory that's not our our home necessarily that we go out from throughout the week to operate as ambassadors. And so we've been talking a little bit about how the church operates, you know, know, going with the analogy we could talk about as like foreign policy uh, in our city. And so today what I want to do is I want to just kind of walk through um, what it looks like to to do th- uh, that foreign policy as part of the church well, all right? So... In order to figure that out, the obvious place for us to go, there's several places that we kind of draw on to kind of give us a vision for what it looks like to be God's church well, um, you know, a tradition of what the church has always done, um, the Holy Spirit guiding us, giving us wisdom and how to, how to live out God's purposes in the world through ourselves, and then obviously scripture, right? Scripture is like the charter document for us uh, in how uh, we decide what to do as a church. Now, Tim Keller has a really good quote. This is from his book, Center Church, where he talks about how we like to read the Bible sometimes, but we can kind of be uh, sometimes mistaken on the primary best way to read certain passages in Scripture. He says, Most of the ethical principles or rules in the Bible are not. Uh, codes of, or, of behavior uh, for individuals to follow, okay, that's the way we primarily, if, you're be, if we're being honest with ourselves, that's the main way we read our Bibles, is we read it, we see something in there that seems like uh, uh, telling us how to live, and we automatically think, well, wh- how can I do that better, right? So he says, they're not just that, but they're actually descriptions of a new community, the church, that bears the spiritual fruit of love and holiness. Unless we make ourselves accountable to someone, we will repeatedly slip up and we'll fall away. Okay. now. One quick thing, the Bible's not a rule book, okay? So don't don't take this to, to think the Bible's just a list of rules that we have to follow. It's actually the opposite of that. But what, what it does do is, is once we've responded to the gospel of grace, we now learn the pattern in which we live. And we see Paul and other people uh, epistle writers in the New Testament these people writing letters um, and, you know, or, or even the stories in the Gospels or in the Old Testament that give us kind of a design for what it looks like to live in this pattern of reconciliation and new creation in the world alright so that's what he's talking about here he, he continues, in addition, many of the ethical prescriptions of the Bible seem maddeningly general. Have you ever noticed that? You read something, you're like, this is actually not that helpful, because it doesn't actually tell me uh, what, what, to, what to live out specifically. And even more frustratingly, it's written 2,000 years ago, right? So Paul had no idea when he was writing that Christians you know, 2,000 years later are going to be asking, well, what does it look like to to follow Jesus well as a church and as an individual when I have a, an iPhone in my pocket all day long? Or, you know, wh- whatever, all the technology that is bubbled up in the world, or all, all that, all the stuff that is just new for our culture, obviously scripture doesn't speak directly to many of those things because it's written in a totally different culture, okay? So, Often, scripture is not specific enough to directly address our particular situation. But this is because Jesus expected us to determine how to apply these teachings as a community. Okay, so it's important for us to be in community, to be r- talking together about how we can apply what we read in scripture to our specific uh, situations as a church or, and, and in the world that we live in now, okay? So, so what I want to do today is I want to just talk through five big ideas, um, uh, things I think that, um, to a degree, all churches are called for, but I want us as a church at Res City, as we enter our second year of life now, things that I want us to be known for, things I want us to do to do well, okay? And I'm probably leaving some stuff out, right? So don't think this is an exhaustive list necessarily, um, but, but these are things that kind of God laid on my heart as I was putting this together this week, all right? So, so the five things are, first of all, justice, second, community, third, beauty, fourth, proclamation, and then fifth, celebration. So what we're going to do is I'm just going to walk through those five uh, things, and I have uh, a scripture that I kind of want to talk through to, as, a, as a reason for why we would care about this as a church, and we'll just talk a little bit about what it looks like for us to do that well, okay? And the cool thing is about these f- these five areas is, is probably you'll find yourself... You know, really caring more about one of them than the other or gravitating towards one or thinking, hey, I care about that too or I have a skill in that thing too and that's actually really good. I think one of the great things is we're wired differently to, to do, do certain things well. We have different gifts that God has given us and only when we come together as a church are we doing all of those things well. Like we, None of us can truly be a church unto ourselves because we're just naturally going to excel and then suck at multiple different things so when we come together as a church we get to best model a full vision for what it is that God desires his people to be living out in the city or wherever that they're at okay so so let's just kind of move move through these different things so first of all I want to talk about justice or, or service and in Galatians 2:10, Paul says all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor Now a little backstory on what Paul is discussing here. So he's talking about a conflict that he found himself, he's kind of reflecting in this letter to the Galatians um, about a conflict that he found himself in with the leaders of the Jerusalem church. These are some big names in the early church. Peter and James and John, Paul calls them the pillars of the faith um, in, in this letter here. But He's also like, but we kind of had some conflict at one point, and so we, t- we had to get together in a room, and we kind of had to hash it out. We had to talk about, listen, what does it look like for us to come together in partnership? Because Paul's o- not operating in Jerusalem. Um, he's actually operating out in the, in the Roman world, the, the Gentile world more specifically, and he's starting churches all over uh, that part of the world that are not necessarily connected to the Jerusalem church, and because of the, the context of the, of the ancient Near East and first century, there's a big division between Jews and Gentiles. They don't necessarily get along all that well. Jews think that Gentiles are are pagan idol worshippers who are just the worst. And Gentiles look at Jews and think they're this weird cult who has a lot of weird beliefs and don't eat bacon and all sorts of other weird things. And so we just don't really want anything to do with these people. So Paul knows it's important for for them to kind of come together because they have a common belief that transcends uh, racial differences uh, in Jesus. And in the gospel, and the leaders in the Jerusalem church care about that too. So they get together to hash it out, and and what what comes of this meeting, we find is that. Um, Paul says that we're, we were going to go, we were going to continue to preach the gospel, we realized our gospels were the same thing, but the one agreement we came to is that um, we should continue to remember the poor. Now, it's a really cr- a cryptic statement, and there's a lot of reasons why Paul might not be saying outright what he means here, and this isn't a for sure thing, but he might be referring to something that he talks more specifically about in other, lo- other letters that he wrote. Um, it's called the collection. It's this large sum of money that Paul is raising among all of his church communities in the well Healthier part of the Roman Empire in these Gentile churches on behalf of the poorer Jerusalem church. So we, we learn that the Jerusalem church is actually made up of quite a few poor people. And so Paul says, as a show of partnership, r- regardless of whether or not that's what he's talking about here in Galatians 2:10, we know that Paul cares about caring for the poor, so much so that he's gonna go around to all these other churches that again have never met the people in the Jerusalem church and probably never would. And try to raise money on behalf of these other Christian believers in this other city. So that not only that church can have money to do what they need to do, but that they can use that stuff as part of their ministry to care for the poor in Jerusalem. As a way to kind of spread the gospel and do God's work of reconciliation in the world. Okay? And so... The thing I want to draw out of this is, like, at, from the very start of Christianity, this was fundamental. That the church is remembering and seeking out the poor in their city and trying to care for them. So much so that we find the first fundraising project, you know, right away here in, in the book of Galatians. Okay? Anything that, that, that wants to step away from that mission of the church is missing the point of the gospel, I think. Okay? The reason th- that I say that is this, all right? Here, here's what the gospel is. It, it turns everything on its head. The gospel u- uniquely, it, it robs us of th- the ways we try to accrue value and worth through other things and says the only way to truly find value and worth and happiness is through Jesus himself, is through the gospel, all right? So you are, you know, you might not be monetarily poor, but you are still poor and you need grace, Okay, and that comes to you freely without any work that you do to earn that. Okay, that's what the gospel is, and so because of that, the one of the ways that we have to model that as a church is to be seeking to give unconditionally to those who society looks at and says they're actually not—they're not worth it. They're—they're they're not of value. They couldn't—you know—they couldn't keep a job. You know, they—they they, they gambled all their money away. They're in this p- bad situation. It's all their fault. The church says that. Doesn't really matter. Like everyone has this value, and we're going to show that through caring well for them. And so it's the call of the church to model the gospel through helping the poor in our city. And we care a lot about that here at Res City. Now, maybe you're hearing this and you're saying, well, that's great, but I don't need to be part of a church to do that. Like, I can go online and I can donate myself. I don't really need to be a part of a church in order to make that happen. And I would actually challenge you on that point, okay? I, I would say, I think ch- the church will always be better at doing this mission than you will be on your own, okay? I think it's, it's much more effective, and I think you're much less uh, motivated to actually go out and live that out, If you're not a part of a community that cares about it all right and this is the data supports this in the book American Grace by Robert Putnam he does a bunch of surveys of Americans um, over for many many years Um, and he finds that frequent churchgoers are more likely than the non frequent churchgoers to give money to charity to do volunteer work for charity to give money to a homeless person to give excess change back to a shop clerk to donate blood, to help someone outside their own household with work, to spend time with someone who is feeling, quote, and this is what the survey said, a bit down, to allow a stranger to cut in in front of them, to offer a seat to a stranger to help someone find a job. All of these things are more likely to happen from from someone who is a frequent church going attender than someone who doesn't go to church. all right. So the data actually says, you're going to do a better job of caring for the poor if you're a part of a church community. All right? And that, that, that holds true for non-churchgoers and, and for, for secular people as well. Okay, Some things are equal. In the, there were a few things on the survey that there wasn't a quantitative difference between churchgoers and non-churchgoers, but there was nothing in the survey that was more common among people who don't go to church than people who do. Okay, so So the data says that People who go to church are more likely to live this vision out on a regular basis than people who don't. Now, there, that that's a question as to why is that the case. And I actually think that leads into our second point here, which is community. Now, we talk a lot about community here at Res City. It's one of our things that we really value. It's actually one of our, like, if you go to our website, it's actually one of the values on the website, okay, and every church cares about community, and that's really good, and I actually think we do this really well, okay, so I want to, like, say that up front, I think we really do community well as a church here, we we are really tight-knit, we, we care well for each other, I, I can I can tell that, um, but I want to talk about a different aspect of community today, specifically, why, why is community good to help us fulfill, like, other visions that we have in the church, now, one is because the church can, it organizes, right, like, it it, like the church sets up all these opportunities for you to serve that you might not have on your own, okay? Second of all, when you have like a social network that's caring well for you, that's pouring into you, you're naturally gonna feel like you have the capacity to then go out and care for others too because you're not working to just meet your needs, right? Through the church you've got, you've got the help of like emotional support from friends, uh, you've got love, you, you know that's a consistent thing, you know these people care for you no matter what, like these people are, are by your side, you, know, you hear many stories about people in the church who actually have physical needs that their friends in the church help them out with uh, that they would, would not have had help from anywhere else, right? This is an important part of being a part of a church. And when your cup is filled, it's able to overflow to fill other people's cups, okay? And a third point, and this is the, from the, the, the scripture passage I have up here, comes from the, the power of, of imitation, Okay, so Paul talks in, in 1 Corinthians 11 here, he, he says to them, I want you to follow me as I follow the Messiah. And so he sets up this pattern of like copying or imitating one another in the church as a way to set out a vision for what it looks like to follow Jesus specifically. If you're following other people in the church, you can know you're following after Jesus himself. And actually, the, 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 the word follow there, the Greek word is ginomai it can actually be rendered, and it's rendered in other places in the New Testament, as like becoming, so to become. So you could almost read this as, become me as I become the Messiah. Now this isn't like, a, like give up your individuality, right? You know, And, and, and dress the same as me and, and try to do everything like I do. But it more means like the patterns or the habits that, that I want you as a church, Corinthians, to live out. You should ju- I want you to watch me and how I do it. And then let others see you do it and they'll follow you. That's kind of the pattern he's setting up here. Now, I think we all are familiar with how this works, right? Think of someone, I am, just right now, stop and think of someone you know that you admire, you look up to, and that you find yourself wanting to, to copy or imitate, Right, It could be a friend, it could be a, a parent or a, a sibling, it could be a mentor or it could be a teacher. But we all have these people right, in our lives that we look up to and we want to follow. So we do, it, we do it consciously, but we also do it subconsciously too. Um, we're, we're naturally going to imitate those around us even if we don't realize it. And Paul is saying he's aware of this and he's, he's, kind of, he's calling the Corinthians to live this out specifically and not just subtly. And and this is this is why uh like we're it's so important that we do this intentionally. I remember I, I was at a conference one time and the conference speaker it was a church leadership conference and he was talking about how every church has these things called accidental values. They're just things that the church comes to value because some, you know, some people do it and everyone else just kind of follows them. And he listed like homeschooling as an example, right? You have a church where a few people homeschool and then you find out everyone else starts to homeschool their kids too. And th- this all sorts of things could come to mind here, right? Um, people, you know, whatever. Maybe you've been a part, part of a church where you kind of saw that. You're like, I don't think they intended for everyone to do this at the church, but everybody like is following, it seems like, this person, right? So you, you have that stuff happen in the church, and it's it's natural. But knowing that, that hap- that's, that's the power of imitation or copying within a body, right? And so what, what, what I care about is that um, we We are, are thoughtful about that that like our leaders in our church are are doing stuff that people that like people follow that 's what we actually want people to be leaving out right every every this is a lot of social study research shows that every organization, every community has elites, whether you want them or not it 's not necessarily a bad thing, but think back to high school, right? You had the cool kids and everyone wanted to dress like they kind of set the tone for what it looked like to so what everyone should wear and, and how everyone should act, right? And you can't help it. You just always have these cool kids. It's unfortunate because high school kids are like the least equipped to decide what's actually cool, right? So, it, <laughs> but regardless, we all are aware of that happening. And so, we. but that's not a bad thing, right? It's a good thing if you harness it and you have the leaders in the church modeling what the values of what you want people to live out. And so that's something for people who are in leadership but leadership here at Res City. I just want you to think about that. And if you aspire to leadership in some way, that's something to think about too. Like, do do I live a life that's worth being copied or imitated by other people? Because it's going to happen wh- whether I, I intend for it to or not. All right? Now, one last thing on community that I just want to say is... Um, you're not going to get the value of being a part of community, all of them. Like, there's lots of values of community that I haven't talked about here. Um, there's, there's, there's so many values to being a part of community. You're not going to get those fully unless you're willing to totally commit to the community, right? Here, I'm a millennial. I think most of the people in this room are, are probably millennials. We hate committing to anything. Isn't that right? You, you, we don't want to commit because we want to keep our options open in case something better comes along, right? We're always afraid we have this FOMO, fear of missing out on stuff. And we're afraid if we commit to something, then if something else better comes along, then we won't be able to get out of that commitment and and miss out on the better thing. So we want to have our one foot in the door, but one foot always out of it just in case. And what we end up doing is committing like 20% to like 15 different things. And we don't get anything out of any of them, and then we're all disappointed by it. And the reason for that is, is you'll never actually get the full, like the full, like, what, what being a part of a community has to offer unless you're willing to go all in. That's when you'll truly get everything out of it, okay? And so, so, and that's much, it's gonna be much more satisfying if you're willing to do it. So while it seems counterintuitive to us, like that's a challenge I have for you. If you feel like you've got one foot in the community here at Red City and one foot out, you're never gonna get that full uh, value of being a part of the community unless you're willing to put that other foot in the door. And, 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 then, and then like that's when things, w- you will really start to feel yourself uh, flourishing here, Okay? Alright, let me get to the third thing that I want to talk about today. This one might actually surprise you. Maybe some of these things you saw on the list and you're like, yeah, I can totally get those things. It doesn't seem like Joel has any uh, anything earth-shattering on that list. But this next one might be a little bit of a surprise to you. And I want to talk about the idea of beauty. Alright? So this is taken from Exodus 35. It might be a passage a lot of you aren't familiar with. It's kind of an obscure passage, but it's actually a really, really cool and interesting story. So, um... What's happening is is God has has taken his people out of um, Egypt, they were slaves. Now they're this free people. They're out in the wilderness, and God is kind of giving them. Uh, He's giving them the lie He's kind of giving them like this is what it looks like for you to be a people that are set apart uh, specifically for me. And one of the things that m- takes up a large chunk of the last part of the book of Exodus is what is the tabernacle going to look like? The tabernacle is this big mobile tent that that the Israelites can pack down and they can move it wherever they need to, and then set it back up again. And 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 they can worship God in it. It's like the it's like a mobile temple is what it is. All right. It's kind of like what we do every Sunday morning here. We pack everything up and we could set it up wherever else we wanted to in theory, right? So the tabernacle is a little bit like that. But but it, this is not like this is not like a, a tent that you pitch when you go camping, right? This is like a beautiful, you know, impressive like large tent. You can fit a lot of people in it. it it's got it's got and it's got to reflect some beauty because of what's taking place in this tent. And that's like a really important thing that is happening in Exodus 35, is is Moses is giving these directions for what it looks like for the beauty of the temple to be um, set up. And what happens is we actually get a guy, his name is Bezalel, um, and, and and we're told that the Lord chose this guy Bezalel, and the spirit, that he's filled with the Holy Spirit and with wisdom. Okay, so the Spirit of God specifically comes on this guy to gift him in all sorts of artistic designs, uh, the ability to work with um, stone and and gold. And then another guy has a similar thing happen to him. His name is Aholiab. I'm probably getting that wrong, but he's kind of gifted to work with like tapestries and stuff. And so there's this there's this important part about the tabernacle that God says it's got to look really beautiful, okay? And, and there's actually specific people who have giftings in drawing out that beauty, so whenever someone comes inside of this thing, they're confronted with the beauty of the God that the tabernacle is housing, okay? And so, so we live in a really practical and functional society, right? I'm sure that maybe some of us would have been sitting there, and we would have thought, well, this is cool and all but like couldn't we use couldn't couldn't we put Bezalel to work doing something more like productive? I, you know, and some, something else. Maybe we could find a better use for that gold and silver than trying to make beautiful artistic designs around here. You know, maybe we could use it to buy some food so we don't have to eat manna that's given to us by crows every morning. Um, that would be a little bit helpful. And, sh- and, you know, instead of making this thing look beautiful, shouldn't be mo- we be more uh, worried about the flow, right, that everyone can kind of get through easily and there's no congestion at any points of the tabernacle or anything like that? Shouldn't should have a good feng shui, right? Everything should kind of move well, w- through it right but the answer to that is no God cares that this place is beautiful now maybe you're hearing this and you're like well that's cool that's a tabernacle but we you know we don't like we're not the Israelites we don't worship God in tabernacle we are Christians right there's a there's there, there's continuity but there's also some difference that goes on here so what does this have to do with us so one of the things that doesn't change as the Old Testament turns into the New is that God still dwells with his people. And so the tabernacle eventually becomes the temple, which is, a, which is basically the same thing, but much bigger, much more grand, and it's centralized in Jerusalem. You can't pack this thing up and move it, right? The temple gets destroyed, and then what we find out is when we get to the New Testament, and we're actually going to spend some time... In a few weeks here, we're going to start a sermon series on the book of John. We'll have a whole sermon on this because actually this is a big part of, of one of the stories of Jesus in, in this book. But um, Jesus says, hey, um, this temple here doesn't matter. I'm the temple. I'm the place where God's glory dwells now on earth. And then we actually move into Paul's letters in 1 Corinthians 3 where he says, okay, now because you're in Christ, you're the temple. The church Is the temple of God because this is the place where God's glory dwells so if it was true that God valued beauty and and a sort of like artistic a desire to, to show the beauty of him and the gospel well to his people and to outsiders back then then because the temple is still around today because God still dwells with his people I think that we should care about beauty in the place just like God cared about it in Israel okay now, this. think about this. Why does this matter? I could talk for, for hours. I could turn this into a four-hour sermon if you guys wanted. I could just talk all about the gospel and, like, why it's great and why you should believe it and why you should care about it and how it should matter in your life and all these different things. And it would, like... It, it it would like honestly like the, even I could put so much time in the sermon and it would probably not move you in the same way that like a beautiful song might move you, right? Or or if it, or, an artistic like a picture or a poem, right, a painting, right? That that ha- beauty has the power to move us in ways that just exposition doesn't. Okay, and so if we care about making um making the beauty of the gospel, uh, you know present with us, then we got to care about beauty too. This is a a picture from our honeymoon. Um, uh, Me and Julie, on our honeymoon, we went to San Diego, and this is, I think it's Mission Beach is what it is. I don't know if any of you are familiar with San Diego, Mission Beach, but okay, so this is the one part of the honeymoon where I wasn't thinking about how excited I was to be married to Julie and how beautiful she was. But we just had a moment where we were on the beach and we had this beautiful skyline and the ocean is coming crashing in. And I just kind of sat there and I reflected on the fact that this, like, this beautiful scene in front of us, which is actually like terrifying, right? Like if I tried to swim you know, 30 yards into that, I probably would drown, right? The ocean is a terrifying place. But there's a lot of beauty captured in that, too. The, the power of the ocean, like, ha- had this ability to move my spirit, kind of stir it. And I found myself reflecting and seeing God as more beautiful in a way that I would never have if, if I had just been sitting uh, around re- reading about the ocean or reading how God controls the ocean. Like, I wouldn't have been stirred in the same way if I hadn't viewed this thing in beauty. And so it matters for us to, to seek out beauty in the church. Now the church has cared about this many times in the past. Actually, I think it has done it really well. It's cared a lot about this. Just think about stepping into a beautiful cathedral and seeing the, the, the high arched ceiling of it and, and the, the stained glass windows that run along it and the, the, the attention to detail, right? The, 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 w- the colors inside of this space are supposed to kind of capture our imagination and stir our heart towards the beauty of the one in which that, that you're there to worship. Now, not all, not all churches need to do that well, right? But, but I think we should still care about uh, living out beauty in the midst of our community, n- you know, no matter how we can do it. Okay, so what we need to do that, because listen, I don't have very many of these moments on beaches or different things where my heart is stirred. I'm not a very artistic person, but... That doesn't mean it doesn't matter. And it means I'm not the right person to maybe like think through how can we do beauty well as a church, right? We need bezalels. We need people who have that gifting of the spirit to care about beauty and to make to stir the hearts of the people both here at Res City and outside the church towards the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of Jesus, the beauty of God. So if you're a bezalel, if that if the, if you self-identify as a bezalel, you should come talk to me sometime. And I would love to, to talk a little bit about ways that we can try to incorporate beauty into what we do as a church to try to stir our hearts and then as a, as a witness to those outside of the church. And that actually, that last point I just made here about a witnessing to those outside the church plays into the next part of, of what I want to talk about as a church that I think we need to do if we want to do church well. And that's the idea of proclamation, so Peter, in, in his letter to, um, well, to a lot of communities, probably, for, that we now call First Peter, in chapter 3, verses 15, Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. Um, and he's writing to churches that are, are finding themselves uh, um, in conflict, right? There's hostility towards them by the wider culture. And Peter's answer to them is not, like, fight back or anything. His answer is just, be be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have when people confront you or when you have a chance to talk to people, give them an answer for why you have the hope that you do. Proclaiming that God sees evil in the world, he does something about it, he's active decisively in Jesus, he, he frees us from the chains of sin, he makes us whole, he's invited us to join the story of reconciliation and new creation and we live that out now through, through service and justice, we, we live it out as a community and we, we live it out by doing beauty but we also have to be prepared to live it out by proclaiming that hope hope that we have, by, by giving an answer as to, to what we believe and why we do. And remember, going back to the passage we talked about a couple weeks ago in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul talks about how um, we are ambassadors of new creation, and he's committed to us the message of reconciliation, right? We have, a, we have a goal now as ambassadors to go and to speak this message to people, and what Peter's saying about that is we have to be ready to give good reasons for why we believe what we do. Um, This is, so the word actually uh, answer here, or sometimes get uh, um, translated defense, is the Greek word apologia, and we get a discipline from that that you may have heard of before called apologetics, right? This is a thing that some, some people really gravitate towards. I would include myself in that group, actually. I love apologetics. I love talking with people about, um, why I believe what I do, trying to get into the, 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 nooks and crannies of, of belief and challenges to the faith and trying to deal with hard things with the faith. I actually really get a lot of joy out of doing that, and, um, like if our gospel message is going to be intelligible, then we have to be able to talk about it in a coherent way with those around us. So people aren't going to want to have anything to do with what God is doing in the world of reconciliation and new creation if we can't give a good reason for why we believe what we do. And so it matters that we, whether or not you like, like it this, the idea of this or not, it matters that we're ready to give a defense for what we believe when we talk to people, to kind of defend it to, to people around us. And, and so that means... Um, that means having good answers to this i know not a lot of people like apologetics and just like with all the rest of this stuff. like Some of us are going to be gravitate towards this more than others, but I would encourage you to think about how can I talk about what I believe in a compelling way to those around me? How can I proclaim this well so that they can be a part of what God is doing in the world, of reconciliation and of new creation? And we we do this as a church. We, we, we try to do specific stuff directed towards this. Every, uh, once a month right now, we're doing something called Views and Brews where we just get together at a brewery and we talk about Whatever just around faith and it's a space to invite uh, people you know who might be asking questions about it who don't maybe want to come to church don't want to come to a community group or something but wouldn't mind discussing in a casual environment you know drinking a beer or a coffee or something like that so consider coming to Views and Brews we just did one this last week we'll do one next month as well early in the month so that's on Facebook Um, we we post those too and we try to give announcements here at the church or on Instagram as well so um, be looking for for that stuff that seems like like something you want to grow in or you want to you know you know again we're, we're trying to create spaces for that as a church because we can organize and stuff as a church so I encourage you to do that all right last last thing i want to talk about today is this uh this idea of celebration okay so um in, in, the, in the letter of 1 Thessalonians, Paul is writing to this, this church that he planted in Thessalonica. And, and he's kind of worried about some of the people there because of some of the news that he's gotten from them. So there is a lot of social and economic hardship that's going on. Um, these are people that, again, this is in the Gentile world, right? So believing in the God of Israel and believing in Jesus is very strange and we know because of persecution that happened to Christians actually pretty offensive to a lot of their 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 uh, their pagan neighbors or, or themselves coming out of out of pagan idolatry to believe this like that was a hard move for them. Okay, and so Paul's kind of worried. I think he's he's hearing that some of these people are 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 cracking under the pressure of that a little bit, um, and and. Um, Maybe some of these people are alienated from their family and friends because of their belief in Jesus now. And and on on top of that, it it sounds like someone in their congregation has recently died. So there's all these questions that the Thessalonian community is worried about. And Paul writes them, and this is the very end of the book, he kind of gives them some parting exhortations. And what he tells them is, hey, things suck right now, but I want you to be people that are always rejoicing and are always uh, giving thanks. Because... When when we look back, when we celebrate what God has done in the past, it invigorates us as we go out and move forward. All right, and this is something that Paul is not just making up out of whole cloth. Right, we we this is actually something a lot of people today have come acro- across too. So this is a quote from from a guy named Marshall Gans. He's he lecture, he's a senior lecturer at Harvard in their, like, government school. So he ends up training a lot of people who go do work on political campaigns and do a lot of community organizing um, outside of politics. And so he has a lot of really good stuff on, like, uh, or, like organizations and, and um, communities that are out kind of trying to accomplish a, pers- a, uh, a purpose, right? So he's thought a lot, of, a lot about the, a lot of stuff that the church tries to do. And what he says, this quote is so good, I think institutions that retain their vitality are rich in celebrations. Alright, so if you're you're an institution, you're an organization, and you want to retain the vitality that you have to go out and continue to do what you do day after day, you have to be constantly celebrating stuff, or you are going to lose your fuel for what you're trying to do. You're just going to run out of gas, and and you're not going to be able to accomplish what you're trying to do, unless you are consistently celebrating, okay? He talks a lot about the power of story as well, so you're celebrating, you're not just celebrating anything. Right, you're celebrating the story of what's happened. Now, this is something the church is super well equipped to do, right? Because we, we believe in the greatest story ever, right? God taking on flesh, coming to earth, um, and, and dying for our sins, making us new creation, and then inviting us to be a part of that story as God redeems the world, as he makes it new through, through the gospel, all right, and so the church has always been pretty good at this, I think, right? This is why we celebrate Christmas every year. It's why we celebrate Good Friday and Easter, and in some churches you, you'll have the, you know, the church calendar where you'll celebrate like Pentecost and, and Trinity Sunday and some of these other things. Maybe you've been a part of a church that, that does more of this stuff, right? And I think individual churches should be good about celebrating what God has done within their own community. Just like Brett was saying earlier, next Sunday we're celebrating our first birthday as a church, right not just you know as an excuse to eat cupcakes and stuff although it is that but we're celebrating what we're we're going to pause and we're, as we're going to look back at what God has done for us as we enter this new year and we're going to be like man God has been working in the midst of our community maybe In this moment, I don't feel that way, right? When I look back on God's past history, when I think about the cross, I think about the resurrection, I think of of my own coming to believe in that and, and what God has done in this specific church, like I have no reason to doubt that God is not still working, right? That I don't have hope to grasp in the future as we move forward as a church or as we move forward in our individual lives. You can only get that power if you're willing to stop and look back and to celebrate, to give yourself that energy or that joy uh, or that excitement. Okay? and Because if we forget, you know, if, we, if we don't celebrate, we forget. And if we forget, we die. And I don't want us to die, right? I want us to thrive as a church. So I care that we do celebration well and that you're doing celebration well individually. Okay? Because this is Jesus' church, right? We, we've been tasked, we've been invited in to, do, to work with, with, with Jesus in what he's doing in this neighborhood, and this city, right? And, and we want to uh, take that into 2020 for the next year and the next decade and as long as God will bless us to have life. We want to do that with, with vitality and with hope and, and joy. Okay. Now one last, one last way that we celebrate as a church, and this is how we're going to close the services today, is by taking communion. That's something we, we do every single Sunday here. And this is a celebration to draw our hearts to remembrance for what Jesus has done for us. As we take the bread and we drink the cup and we remember Christ's body broken and his blood shed on our behalf. We, we remember and we celebrate what Jesus has done so that we can be invigorated as we go out from this place into whatever, whatever space that you're going into. We also spend time in worship, where we're, where we're again, we're, we're doing in, in beauty, right? Through, through good music, um, we are drawing our hearts back to who God is, to what Jesus has done for us to to invigorate and to excite us okay so we're gonna we're gonna enter into that time here now as a church we just ask that you you don't have to be a regular attender here at res city we just ask that you are a follower of jesus and you can come and take communion with us we're gonna have prayer going on in the back and if and if you'd like to uh to give to res city there's actually a, a box in the back that you can go now or after the service to to give or you can on our website there's ways to give as well so um, let's let's do that. Let's pray. Uh, let's enter into worship. Let's enter into celebration as a church as we thank Jesus for what He's done uh, for us through His through His work on the cross. God, thank you that you. Um, have have asked us and you, you've given us the opportunity to be a part of what you're doing in the world um, in, in new creation and reconciliation, that you have made us ambassadors of that, you've made us um, an embassy of that here at Res City. I pray that you would help us to do these things well, to to, um, to do justice in our city, just like you care about justice and you do justice through your son uh, for us, that you would help us to do community with one another well, that we can care well for each other, that we can, we can learn by, by engaging together what it looks like to follow Jesus well as we all follow, uh, follow him together. God, I pray that you would help us to do beauty well. Help us to uh, invigorate our hearts uh, through the power of beauty, through the power of art, um, to, to, to draw us uh, ever closer uh, to, to the love of your son. I pray that you'd help us to proclaim boldly uh, and well what what you are doing in the world and then help us to celebrate that too so we can thrive and retain our vitality as a church as we move into 2020 and beyond, Lord. We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.